Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 15, Lecture Circuit Part 1. In this episode, Michael and Pam hit the road, Andy is on the rebound, and Jim and Dwight fail at party planning. This episode's cold open is short and sweet, but I think it does have a pretty good joke in it. It's pretty funny. Basically, the premise, as told to us by Jim, is that the phone guy came and was talking to Michael about his phone and showed him that it has a PA function, which doesn't make a ton of sense uh, for an office building at all. No, because it's hard to imagine that this PA function is only limited to the Dunder Mifflin office of this whole office building. Also, we know it's like a two-room office, essentially, you know, so not really necessary, but it functions just like, think back to, you know, your, your school days. It functions just like the PA system there, where Michael's the one that controls it, and Michael loves the attention, and he just leaves it on all day long. Right. We know how much Michael loves to go out into the office and just get everybody's attention, make ridiculous announcements, bad jokes, things like that. And now he can do that from the comfort of his own office. For me, the funniest part is when Jim decides that he's had enough. And as he's walking into Michael's office, Michael acts like he's a sports announcer and and that he's calling Jim's name for like a starting lineup. That was pretty good, yeah. And Jim ends up saying, oh man, I'm just looking for something. And he has taken some scissors in and he cuts the line to the PA system. I have to imagine that would cut the line for the phone, for the whole phone. in general, yeah. My office does not have an all-office PA system, but we do have some sort of system where announcements can be made through the phones, like on speaker. So they do this essentially for like our employee of the month announcements. Um, I don't know if there's been any other time that I've heard it used. I'm sure there has, but yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm fairly certain my office building does not have this. Yeah. So to kick off the main part of the episode, we learn that Michael and Pam are out on the road on the lecture circuit. Now, this part of the episode makes zero sense whatsoever. Agree. <laughs> and it only serves to set up something that will come in the next episode. So Michael tells us that because Scranton is so successful, David Wallace has sent him out to all the other branches to talk about his sales tactics and what he is doing that is making the Scranton branch so successful. Now, we've already been through this. Exactly. David Wallace called Michael in to his office to get a face-to-face meeting so Michael could go over why he's so successful. And Michael wasn't able to verbalize those things because Michael's an idiot. 
That's what's so hilarious to me. Apparently, David just felt that went so well that Michael should take the time and Michael and Pam should get the overtime pay to then give that wonderful hour to two hours of Michael trying to identify what he was doing right to then all the other branches, thus wasting an hour to two hours of their time and actually costing the company more money because Michael and Pam are getting overtime pay for being out on the road. Probably not Michael. Michael's salary. So That's true. Yeah. At, at least, and also, I'm sure their meals and hotels yeah, are yeah. probably getting Per diem, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And we first see them leaving a motel. So obviously they have done one stop of this. And we learn that the next stop on their trip is Utica. Now, if you remember from the Branch Wars episode, Utica is where Karen is now the regional manager. And so Michael brings this up to Pam and asks, hey, is this going to be awkward for you seeing Karen? And Pam's like, no, no, not at all. Why would it be? And Michael points out that Pam has put on makeup today. So obviously Pam is feeling something and eventually she does admit to the camera that she doesn't like knowing that somebody doesn't like her and so this obviously applies to Karen in this situation and she doesn't really know that Karen doesn't like her it was an awkward situation but I would if I was Karen I would be more pissed at Jim yes and in the interactions that we have seen post Jim and Karen's breakup most of Karen's ill will is definitely pointed towards Jim. Right. For very good reason. Yeah, she might be annoyed with Pam. If you think back to the Branch Wars episode in season four, when she talks about the fact that she's the regional manager, she's like, yeah, it's a pretty easy gig when your boss isn't an idiot and your boyfriend isn't in love with somebody else. So I don't think, yeah, she might have a little bit of annoyance towards Pam of like, Okay, but again, it's just sort of probably factored at Jim because she went into it from what we know as viewers, just went into the relationship with Jim to the move to Scranton and all that completely blind, completely unawares. And yes, it was a new relationship. Like it's kind of that, when do you tell someone? But probably Jim should have mentioned Pam and the reason he left Scranton when it became clear that the Stanford branch was shutting down and they would be merging with Scranton and that Karen and Jim would be moving there and Karen was going to move there for Jim. Right. And Karen, I'm sure, like you said, does feel something, probably just some pettiness. Like, this is the woman that my boyfriend immediately left me for because he liked her the entire time right to pam's credit and maybe karen doesn't know this maybe she does pam never actively sought out a relationship with jim while he was with karen the way that jim did when pam was with roy sure that's a good point too so when michael and pam arrive at utica Rolando, the receptionist, lets them know that they're late and everyone's in the conference room waiting for them and Karen will be there momentarily to take them to this conference room. When 
Karen appears. She is visibly pregnant. And Michael just trips all over himself, puts his foot in his mouth, just says all the worst things. And it's very clearly been quite a bit of time since the end of season three to now. We've had at least a year and a half, I would say. Yeah, it is, as we have discussed, it is difficult to tell time with these episodes. Generally, the only thing you get is just like holiday markers and things like that. But yes, it has at least been more than 10 months. And the thing is, like, we didn't have a Christmas episode in season four because of the writer's strike, but we would have. And we've already had a Christmas episode in season five. So there's been at least two Christmases, let's say, in between the time that Jim and Karen broke up and when Pam and Jim have gotten together, etc. And Michael's foot-in-the-mouth moment is just like, oh my god, I'm trying to think back to the last time that you and Jim would have had sex. Like, is that Jim's baby? Like, that would have been even a possibility, and it's really not. Yes, he, as you said, he says all the wrong things. Most specifically, you're huge, which, yeah, that's not something you ever want to say to any woman in general, any person. Michael begins his presentation. It's an odd presentation. Yeah, this was this was obvious that this was right. going to go poorly. Not just it's kind of a maybe David Wallace didn't know this much about what was going to go on. He definitely should have known that Michael has zero idea what he is doing as a manager and really has no idea why his branch is so successful. <laughs> he found that out face to face like we said. It's it's pure luck, I think. Like we said uh, back in that episode, the salesmen are doing well, probably. Yes, yeah, so this is happening in spite of Michael, not yes. because of Michael. Now, we as viewers know that this lecture circuit is going to be terrible because Michael considers himself a showman of all types. Think back to, so along those lines, Curtis, think back to season three business school where Michael's invited to be the guest lecturer or whatever and just completely underwhelms but tries to make it a big show. And so he has a travel case full of props. He has one-liners. He has jokes. And what is probably the most cringeworthy of his lecture is the quote mnemonic devices that he comes up with to memorize people's names right we don't see a great deal of what he's actually talking about as far as you know in depth for how to improve your sales etc but one thing that he really keeps highlighting is that you have to have a personal connection with the people you're trying to sell to And to do that, you need to remember names. But he does it in a very offensive way. So the way he demonstrates this mnemonic device is to point to someone, to point to a man who is bald, and say, okay, you are bald, your head is shiny, it is reflective, it is like a mirror, M, your name is Mark. And the thing is, even if that's how he gets there, is that really... Oh, 
a something to share with others. Like in another person he calls mole, another woman he calls sugar boobs, another person he says just black woman. So again, it's really tough to to uh, I guess convey to somebody else like here's the the chain of how you're gonna get there, but really start with something that you know, you're going to point out about their appearance or something to get it stuck in your head. This kind of reminds me of something that in my job, I have to create uh, user profiles for a particular system. And so I do that. And so I create their username and their password. And to create their password, I go to this password generation website that you just click a button you can set the parameters you know it needs capital letters it needs x number of characters it needs special characters etc and so you click a button and it gives you just this completely random scrawl of numbers letters and symbols why to to create right a, a strong password oh, okay, to create okay. a strong password okay and so it is like you know just for example, it's six capital B exclamation point lowercase y two three number sign lowercase j, and so on the bottom like below that it's a it gives you the how you can memorize that thing, and it's just ridiculous. It's like I don't even remember what I said, but like it would like if it was a capital B, you have to remember. Best Buy in capital, in capital. And so it's oh one of those God. things where it's like, if you can remember this whole, like the extended scrawl of things, like if you could remember the mnemonic device for this thing, you probably should just be able to remember, memorize no the, the password in general. So Michael is creating this thing where his trick to memorizing somebody's name is exponentially harder to memorize more than just some guy's name. Agree. And listen, it is really tough when you don't remember people's names. And I've been in that situation. And I have a more difficult name. I don't have a very common name. So when I'm in a professional function and I'm trying to introduce myself, sometimes I completely miss or blink on someone's name when they're telling it to me because I'm so focused on saying my name loudly and clearly to that person. And then I completely like, oh my God, I, I didn't even catch their name. Or I have maybe like met a person before and I didn't fully remember and that's where I feel terrible. So I try to get to the, into the habit of instead of saying nice to meet you, I just say, oh, nice to see you, nice to talk with you, something like that. So then some people are like, well, we've already met. And I appreciate the honesty there, but then it's like this awkward thing of I didn't remember meeting that person, right? unfortunately. Um and it's just tough. And I've had people forget me before and I don't think anything of it because I'm not super important in my, in the community in which I am a professional or at my like individual job. Like I don't need to be known necessarily, but it is tough when you're at, I don't know, like a social networking event and you do meet like five people in a row and you're like, 
Oh, God. Right. I didn't pick up on any of that. I mean, I'm not even trying to sell them things, so I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> You're important to me and our listeners. Dear. Oh, thanks, dear. And so, as we said, Michael is terrible at this, and Karen gives him a very short leash. I'm sure she had to have had <laughs> a discussion with her employees before this and it's just tell her. probably David. Yeah, yeah. When David was, yeah, let her know, hey, Michael Scott's going to be coming through to talk to you about making, you know, sales tactics. She had to be like, oh, he doesn't know anything about that. Yeah, why? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, she probably had the same discussion with her employees. Hey, this guy from Scranton's coming in. He's going to talk to us about sales tactics. It's going to be weird. It's going to be dumb. You're not going to learn anything. Just sit through it. Sorry, guys. And like Curtis said, she rightfully cuts Michael off and is like, hey, Michael, let's just talk in my office and sort of has him go over what the rest of the presentation is. And then she decides, you know, I'm just going to take all this and distill it in an email to my team. I think that's the best use of time. Which, no doubt, because, we again, we don't see what Michael's explaining, but he has a lot of props. He has a chainsaw, and it's not really clear if there's actual substantive information that's going to be conveyed. Pam takes that moment to just talk with Karen, just ask her about her life. Like, she starts out with, I think, a pretty reasonable question, putting it on Karen, Hey, just when are you due? And so they kind of exchange pleasantries back and forth. Karen talks about her new husband and they're just some kind of just silly photos uh, around in the office. And then Karen asks how Scranton's going. How's Jim? And Pam tells her that her and Jim are engaged. And Karen seems is at first kind of surprised by that but she does seem genuinely happy for the both of them and her and Pam hug and so Pam gets this bit of closure from this meeting that she wanted which I have to question why is that did she need it I don't think so I mean Pam's a people pleaser and I can relate to this instinct she doesn't like when someone's mad at her and she doesn't like thinking well I could have done something different and as they're driving, she tells Michael, now I'll never have to wonder if I did something wrong. And it's hard to know what that something is referring to. Is it, you know, not moving on from Jim? Is it including that little message to him for his interview? Like, what was it that she thinks might have been wrong, that Karen might have interpreted as wrong? Sure. And, and we kind of discussed this earlier but you know Pam I don't think she was very much in the wrong in this situation she did not actively pursue Jim if anybody in this situation needs closure it's Karen because she probably has to wonder now at this point obviously she's she's married she is about to have a child she clearly has moved on with her life she is not very broken up about losing Jim And she probably got maybe a little bit of that closure during the 
Branch Wars episode right. where Jim shows up in a ridiculous costume and she goes, well, you're still doing this kind of stuff, huh? And so yeah. stuff like that, she probably sees, yeah, probably better off where I am now than where I was then. But I'm sure there has to be part of her, at least if I was in Karen's shoes, that wonders, okay, what was it about me that wasn't appealing enough that you went back to this woman who rejected you before, was engaged, and like, what, why couldn't you move on with your life when I came into the picture? Right, which is such a tough but natural reaction, I think, to a breakup. And she even said in season four that, you know, she cried for weeks over Jim. And I think personally that Karen gave it her all, like really gave this relationship a fighting chance and was rightfully appalled by the beach games. And maybe that's what Pam's talking about. If she did something wrong was her speech at the beach. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But Karen... in retrospect, and now probably again, we're, I'm thinking we're at least a year and a half to two years removed, is probably like, that wasn't the right relationship for me, especially maybe meeting her husband and being where she is in her life where, where she can say, yeah, that relationship with Jim, not a good one, didn't work for me. Now I have this thing where I'm clearly clicking with someone, clearly happy um, from what we can tell as the viewer and so I can sort of wish Jim well from afar Pam's right in front of me I don't have any you know ill will towards her this is great I mean Michael was a weirdo that whole time like his question to Karen was like what he said to Jan was like who did this to you you know was it a machine you know it's just so weird But Pam is really over the moon at having this closure and is just sort of espousing this relief to Michael. And Michael brings up Holly. And when he was telling the camera crew about the lecture circuit, he specifically mentioned that there was not plans to go to Nashua because it was still a little bit too raw for him. And so he asked Pam if he remembers Holly, if she remembers Holly. And says that that's what he needs, this closure from Holly, that she moved and he helped her move and then they broke up seemingly off camera, but they haven't spoken since and he just never got any closure, which Curtis raised this point off mic. How did he not really get closure? Yeah, there's no real closure to be had here. This was a mutual breakup. Now, it was a one that neither person really wanted, but it was still a mutual breakup. There wasn't one person saying, hey, this isn't really working out for me. I'm out of here. Bye. And then you don't really have a conversation as to why it's not working. That's where closure is needed. We know why Holly and Michael broke up. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what Michael is looking for here in terms of closure. Michael admits to Pam that Holly is the love of his life, and so Pam convinces him that they should 
forego their stop in Rochester and go to Nashua and try to get some closure with Holly. Back in the office, we have two storylines going on. And one is introduced to us by Kelly walking into the office and storming back to the annex. And and as she is walking past his desk, Jim says, hey, Kelly. And Kelly responds by saying, screw you. Dwight reprimands her and says that that is no way to speak to your superior. And Kelly responds to him by saying, well, screw you too. Jim and Dwight are a bit at a loss as to why Kelly is so upset at them. And Phyllis is quick to tell them that it was her birthday yesterday. So this is kind of a retread of the storyline when Jim and Dwight didn't go to Kelly's America's Got Talent finale party. Maybe. It's essentially the same premise. They do extend it out. I think they deal with it a little bit better in this episode. I took it more as, okay, we're finally getting a little bit of some tidbits on the fallout from Moroccan Christmas and the duel. Sure, kind of, yeah. So we learn that after the drama between Phyllis and Angela, Michael decided that there was too much drama on the party planning committee and there can't be one person in charge of it. So he named Jim and Dwight as co-chairs of the new party planning committee, which seemingly is just them. Yeah, they're both really not happy about being on this committee and having to plan these parties. And they're clearly failing at the job seemingly as they've missed someone's birthday. I have a little bit of annoyance here at the genderedness of it because this happens in office places all the time where if there is some sort of celebration to be had, you know, who's planning it? The women. And Phyllis and Angela seemingly enjoyed, you know, genuinely enjoyed doing the party planning. But Dwight and Jim don't even try. The fact that they didn't have some sort of calendar reminder or like a week out calendar reminder of like, hey, ask the person what kind of cake they want. Some ideas of themes or access to balloons or streamers or whatever is just ridiculous. It's just like, I'm a man. Why do I have to bother doing this sort of thing? And Jim is very aware how serious this office takes its birthdays if you remember back to survivor man in season four jim had to get to put together a birthday celebration as while michael was out of the office and jim wanted to join everybody's birthdays all together celebrate it once and be done with it for the year and nobody liked that so he you would think he would learn from that and say, okay, I got to keep track of birthdays if I'm going to be in this position. Right. And so the rest of this episode is spent, and so the rest of this episode for Jim and Dwight is spent trying to make it up to Kelly. They are going to throw her a birthday party and get her a cake and just have a celebration for her. Except... Again, they both are just not very good at this. Dwight has been put in charge of decorations. And 
he walks at one point jim walks into the conference room where dwight is decorating and it is atrocious <laughs> so funny. it is a room full <laughs> of quarter filled balloons barely blown up they're all in browns and grays because as dwight said it matches the carpet some of them are hanging from the ceiling on streamers. Yeah, and it's white streamers, and the way that Dwight has hung it, it looks like toilet paper. <laughs> yes. And the coup de grace of all of this is the banner that Dwight <laughs> has made, which says, it is your birthday, period. <laughs> and when Jim comments on it, Dwight says, yeah, it's a statement of fact. And he's like, it's more professional. And Jim asks, why not an explanation point? And Dwight's like, it's not like she discovered a cure for cancer. And so this, the showing of that banner is now a pretty common like meme, I would say. And I mean, just, it's such an easy thing to text like an office fan on their birthday. <laughs> uh it's just very like yeah the, the humor in that is very good it's quick it's totally dwight and yes it just looks so so awful i am not a very great decorator but i make an effort like i try to i put up like a banner on curtis's birthday and especially because his past birthday was like a quarantine birthday so i got some balloons and streamers and stuff but yeah, it, it does take time, but Dwight is, is doing the worst possible job with the masking tape. Like he doesn't even try to roll it and put it on the back or make it as small as possible. He just takes off a big piece of tape and just slaps it up there. And then the balloons are just piled into the middle of the, of the conference room table because as Curtis said, they're not really filled up. They just look like rocks almost. Jim is supposed to be collecting money for the cake and he does go out to buy a cake. He has to call Dwight though while Dwight is decorating and ask how old Kelly is because all they have is numbered candles, not just, you know, an assortment of regular candles. And Dwight says, I don't know, maybe 24 or 37. And Jim has to say, I I'm not looking for your best guess. Like we're trying to actually get it right here. So instead of going to ask Kelly, like, I mean, Kelly's already mad and she already knows that they're going to plan a party for today. Dwight just gets into her personal HR file to find out what her year of birth is and stumbles across some interesting information about Kelly's background. Yes, he learns that when Kelly was 14... She spent a year in a juvenile detention facility. And so Dwight, being Dwight, focuses exclusively on this. He wants to know why Kelly spent a year in a juvenile detention facility. And I think he is ready to like throw the book at her and turn this into HR or whomever until there is a note that says this 
incident does not affect her work performance. And so you can kind of see him getting a little deflated by that. Now, we will learn why Kelly spent a year in a juvenile detention facility in the next episode. The other storyline that is going on here involves Andy. Andy is ready to move on from Angela. And as he says, it is a smackdown between him and just crippling loneliness and depression. Do you know what I thought of when Andy said that? I'm like, oh, that's COVID quarantine in the middle of winter. Yeah. Currently it is, I believe, like negative two degrees outside. And there's snow on the ground. And, you know, yeah, like things have gotten better as far as COVID numbers. But, you know, the variants and the vaccine, I'm like, yeah, that really describes the past year. And so Andy sees a glimmer of hope when Stanley brings in a female for a lunch meeting. Now, I have to say that this is confusing to me immediately. Yes. I thought that this was Stanley's daughter. I mean, no. Uh, it's just a client. I, I get that later. Right. Like when she first walks in, though, I thought it was Stanley's daughter because... Andy turns to Phyllis and says, who is that? And says, she, and Phyllis says, she is out of your league. As if Phyllis really knows who this girl is. I think Phyllis just knows that she's out of Andy's league. I mean, yes, possibly. But I'm just saying, she says that with a very, with some familiarity of who this girl actually is. So that's why I assumed well, at first, it doesn't seem like it's a new client, so Phyllis might actually know, sure. you know, who it is. Uh, so, yes, I thought it was Stanley's daughter. It does turn out it is a client. We see this woman and Stanley having a meeting in the break area later where they're talking numbers and things like that. Which is highly unusual. We've never really seen a client come in yeah. except to meet in the conference room. And or normally it's it's like lunch meetings out or the sales people are going to the actual client's place of business. So Andy, yes, is very interested in this woman. And he I mean, Andy's just a weird, creepy guy. And that's all he knows when it comes to interacting with the opposite sex. So he decides that the best course of action, because he thinks that she's really beautiful is to go and look in her car like look through the windows of her car to see if he can tell what cds she has and get a sense of her taste in music he sees that she has the feist cd which okay so in from what i'm aware feist maybe had two songs one of them was big and it was that one two three four song and it was only big because it was in an apple commercial in like 2008 it also has a very distinctive music video okay I don't it remember is it. i believe it is all one take and there's a lot of movement going on and it's a very like just sweeping camera angles and things like that so yeah i think that's just another thing that the song is known for i don't remember it from when i would watch vh1 when i would get ready in the mornings <laughs> So Andy takes this information and then tries to use that 
as a way to make a connection while inserting himself into the meeting between Stanley and this woman whose name is Julia. And he does so by saying, oh, I brought you guys some coffee, which Stanley probably either already offered or was getting, and then sings one, two, three, four as a way of saying that he put Splenda in Stanley's coffee. Stanley pulls Andy aside because seemingly Andy is probably in danger of torpedoing this sales meeting. Yeah, Andy's just being a creep. Yeah, and Stanley's just like, what are you doing? And Andy comes back at Stanley and says, no, what are you doing? You bring this beautiful woman in here and don't even introduce me to her. And Stanley's like, we're not friends. That's not something I would do. And Andy's like, I see you as a friend. We are friends. So that's why I'm hurt here. Andy's taking the Michael tack yeah. here. Yeah. And so Stanley really doesn't have much of a skin in the game here. He sees an opportunity and says, all right, I'll trade you. You get this client and you give me two of yours. Which for Andy is probably not a very good trade because from what we know, he doesn't have very many clients. Yeah. And so... Andy takes him up on that, and Andy resumes the sales meeting while simultaneously courting this woman, but in a very awkward way. He spends much of the time trying to ascertain whether or not this woman is even single. Yeah, with a weird question about where he should send billing, like should it just be to her house or her boyfriend's house, which is like, no, it can just go to the business address. And so she has a lot of patience with him. And then it's seemingly like he closed a sale. Like it sounds like he's got a sale and he's walking her outside and it's very cold. It's probably, you know, January, February in Pennsylvania. And then he tries to tell her that, you know, she's a new client. He's going to take good care of her you know, nard dog guarantee, all like that. And then he goes in and tries to kiss her. And it is just bizarre. And she is rightfully horrified. And so then Andy just unloads his baggage on her. Saying, you know, I just got out of a relationship. I thought we had a vibe. And she's being really nice. It's saying, yeah, I know it's hard. I just got out of a relationship too. And Andy won't take the hit. And he's like, well, yeah, oh my God, it is hard. Do you want to go talk about it? We can walk around the mall or get a coffee. And she's just like, no. It seems as though Andy has accepted some defeat here. But then he follows up again and says, okay, I'll follow up with you in three months about the order. And then maybe about that mall walk. And she's just like, really? I thought that was kind of nice like if there was only one thing that Andy did here that was nice and a little smooth it was that like he it's a little it's playful enough to where it's endearing like just like okay I'm I'll I got it I got what you're saying I'll get back to you in three months about business and hey maybe we'll see what happens and I feel like she gets in her car like okay Sure. I mean, it's sort of, it's a soft, uh, it's a soft gray area on like the no means no and you need to accept the no thing, I guess. But then Andy follows up with the camera and says that they lost the account. Yeah. (laughs) 
So she clearly got back to her office and was like, no, we're going to get paper from somebody else. So that pretty much does it for the goings on in this episode. We do have two kind of cliffhangers in this episode, one more important than the other. We leave this episode with Pam and Michael going up to Nashua and Jim and Dwight floundering to plan Kelly's party. So we will wrap those things up in the next episode. But for now, let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. Uh, This episode was written by Mindy Kaling. And outside of that, there wasn't really too much. Um, There's a lot of pop culture references um, throughout this one and the part two of the lecture circuit. And these were pretty well received. I think these were this was a pretty strong episode and we were coming off stress relief which for the most part was strong but maybe didn't sustain for that whole one hour segment i think it's just because there is substance to this there is it's like okay we're now revisiting holly and michael like we spent probably a solid six to eight episodes in the middle of this season just doing comedy stuff, which is fine. You're going to get that with a sitcom, but like there's nothing compelling about any of those episodes. Some of them are better than others, but I think that there's a reason why you saw so many poorly received episodes in that stretch is because even though it's a sitcom, you still need like a through line Mm -hmm. to keep the show on track. And you just didn't really have that for that, you know, that middle episode stretch. Agree. And really, we haven't had any sort of addressing outside till now when Andy talks that he's single about the fallout from Dwight, Andy, Angela Triangle. Curtis, who gets fired in this episode? We lose Andy for making a move on a client. Yeah. It is his second firing this season. It's his fifth overall. We lose Michael for just his general interaction with Karen. And he sexually harassed Pam when they were leaving the hotel at the beginning. Right. Yes. So he is he's thinking of Pam as like his magician's assistant. And he doesn't like what she's wearing because he's like, have you ever seen a magician's assistant? They're supposed to be dressing sexier. So he suggests that she remove the shirt underneath her cardigan. Yeah. And then we also, I'm sorry, it is Michael's sixth firing this season. It's his 43rd overall. And then we also lose Dwight for going through Kelly's private HR file. It is his seventh firing this season. It's his 18th overall. Michael's having a much better season this season. He is, but he is on a bit of a run now. I think he's been fired in three of the last four episodes. So he's making up for lost time. What is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee award is scraping the bottom of the barrel. And that goes to David Wallace. As we explained, we're a, a bit appalled by the idea of this lecture circuit and just the whys of it. And so, yeah, David must be really struggling to come up with ideas to either turn sales around, motivate Whatever it is, and that's very apparent in the idea to send Michael on a lecture circuit of the other branches. What is your Dundee? 
The most obvious character trait aboard goes to Kelly for being the girl that cares <laughs> entirely too much about her birthday. That's really good, yeah. Like, I get it. People want to hear happy birthday. People want the recognition. It It's not fun if your birthday comes and goes and nobody says anything about it. But that's like... That applies to, like, your family and your friends. Right. We've talked about this before with some birthday episodes. Yeah, like, I I feel the same way. Like, I feel how I feel because I just said it. But, like, if somebody doesn't tell me happy birthday, I'm not just like, you're dead to me. (laughs) And Kelly very much is a you're dead to me person if somebody wrongs her in in a social sense. Like, obviously, she is quick to forgive because Ryan. And so it is dumb things like this where, oh, you didn't tell me happy birthday? Well, I hate you. Right. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Pam because she's getting time and a half for 24 hours for three straight days, which is pretty good. And she also just got the closure and came away from the episode, I think, in a good place. Who was your employee of the month? I chose Karen because she obviously is doing very well for herself. Regional manager at a branch, married, kid on the way. But also, as usual, she is the adult in the room in this whole situation. She does not care that Jim and Pam are engaged now. She's actually very happy for them. And so she clearly has moved on from this where other people have not. Yeah, that's a good point. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.